Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So I'm just going to pray before we start. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you that you love us, that you cherish us. Thank you that before the dawn of time, you had a significant plan for this very day. Yeah. You had a plan to prosper us. You had a plan to reveal yourself to us. You had a plan to provide blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Thank you, God, that it's significant that we are here right now. Thank you that you are with us, that you do not forsake us. God, I just pray now that you would communicate a new facet of your love for us this morning, Father. That anything else that doesn't communicate your love would just fall away and that's what would remain, God. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to speak on, I'm going to continue the series that we've been exploring on the table. Um, Up to this point we've heard about what or I suppose more appropriately who the table is. Um, We've spoken about who's invited to the table. We've spoken about what happens when we're at the table. where we find belonging and we find what we're lacking, we, f- we find that God meets a need, and we find Jesus. Um, today, because I'm a computer scientist, because I'm logical, or I like to think I'm logical, um, I'm going to take a more literal approach and speak about an actual table, or perhaps what happens around one of the most famous tables in the whole of scripture, and p- potentially history. Um, And I'm going to speak about the Last Supper, um, which I know is a perfect thing to talk about during the lead up to Christmas, but what can can you do? What can you do? So let me set the scene about um, what the Last Supper is and the significance. Um, So, during the Last Supper, Jesus has gathered his closest friends um, I guess in celebration, or at least that's what they think, of remembrance of the Jewish feast of Passover. Um, Passover, for those that don't know, is, is one of the most significant and most important holidays in the Jewish calendar. Um, and Jews, like Jesus, would have gathered together to eat in remembrance of God delivering the Jewish slaves from the oppression of Egypt. That's what uh, the Passover feast was all about. The name literally is taken from the passing over of the houses of the Israelites during the tenth and final plague on on Egypt. And I think it's important to call out that this is very likely not the first time that Jesus and his disciples have gathered together um, to celebrate Passover. Um, When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and said, um, let's go and find a place to share Passover together, this would have been very familiar. This would not have been out of the ordinary because of how important Passover was. Um, but as we know, uh, this gathering was, was different. Um, there was something else going on. 
So I've never done this before, but what I'm going to try and do is read the passage um, and just pull out a few things that I thought were significant uh, when I was reading and preparing for this. Um, so I'm going to turn to John 13. Please join me if, if you'd like to. Uh, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, um, starting from verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. I just think that's such a beautiful introduction. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all these things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to stop there because I think this is there's something going on here, something very significant. Um, so yeah, the first thing is they're, they're, they're eating together and Jesus decides to stop supper. It quite clearly says that Jesus stood up from supper during supper. So it's not like before the food, this is, this is already as they were eating. Jesus gets up and he decides to wash his disciples' feet. Um, now apparently doing some reading, it's not an uncommon ritual um, in the Jewish tradition for people to wash their feet um, either before or during their eating um, and that's because they would only be wearing sandals um, their feet would be very dusty and dirty um, like I'm sure Susie can attest when Steve wears his flip-flops throughout the entirety of summer and winter, and winter. yeah he's got um, they probably get a bit mucky and I can I would not. I would not blame Susie should she not choose to wash Steve's feet for him. <laughs> I'll let you guys work that out. Um, so it's not an uncommon thing that would have happened in the Jewish tradition. They would, when they gathered together, they would often recline on low tables and more sit. I uh, sit on the floor really, where their feet would be on show. But what is uncommon is that the job of washing someone's feet was reserved for the lowest of servants. This is not something that the leader of a group or um, somebody of significance or importance would be doing. And we can see in the reaction of the disciples that they were stunned that Jesus had got up to do this. Um, our old friend Peter cries out, Jesus, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. As if Jesus had somehow made a mistake. Jesus would be like, oh, of course, yeah, what am I doing? This shouldn't be me. This, is, this should be the job of a servant. But no, of course, that's not what Jesus is doing. Um, in this very act, Jesus is doing what he loves to do and he's subverting expectations. He's, he's flipping things on its head um, that we know that he does and that we know that he loves to do. Jesus, who the disciples would have seen as their leader, as their messiah, as their saviour, as their master and their teacher, yeah, completely flipped that whole practice on its head and he knelt down to serve them. 
I think that it's a beautiful um, emotional foreshadowing of his ultimate humility and love which ultimately would lead him to the cross less than a week later I think it's him in his own way bringing that awareness or fulfilment of a prophecy that he came to serve not to be served so I think there's two other things that I think are particularly significant with this this act and the first one I want to talk about is just the day before this Jesus had had his own feet washed so I'm going to read the previous chapter John 12 1 to 6 six days before the Passover Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was who Jesus had just raised from the dead so they gave a dinner for him there Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume but Judas Iscariot one of his disciples who was about to betray him said why was this why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it so let me just recap that so Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus's sisters um, Mary and Martha have invited Jesus to dinner to, to celebrate that fact Mary is overcome with gratitude and love for Jesus that she uses incredibly expensive oils to cleanse Jesus' feet. And I was just, just out of interest, I wanted to see what 300 denarii actually roughly translates to. And it's the, the, it was at the time the average cost of a year's salary for a standard um, servant or labourer. So you can kind of appreciate how much that might be. That's at least, in our terms, 15 thousand pounds that she's just poured out to Jesus in that moment and I, I think it's interesting that this is actually the first time that Judas is, is mentioned in the entirety of John's gospel um, so, so Judas is somebody that Jesus has called we know nothing about his past we know nothing about what he was doing during Jesus' ministry but for some reason Jesus, Judas at this moment decides to call out and say what are we doing this is such a waste of money. Um, I think there's, there's significance in that, especially when we think about what G- Judas was already planning at this time. So we know Judas was present at this gathering, and therefore we can assume that the other disciples would have been as well. So as Jesus was watch- washing their feet during the Passover meal, they would have been... They would have brought to mind just what happened yesterday, that Jesus had honoured Mary's behaviour before, which again I kind of think reinforces the importance of serving one another and preferring one another. Especially significant when you think about um, what's recorded in Matthew's depiction of the Last Supper. Um, during it, the disciples decide to have a chat and have a debate about who's the most important among themselves. But I think Jesus in his 
infinite wisdom is just showing that greatness is not about people's achievements or their influence or their power, but willing to kneel down in the dirt and washing the feet of your friends and even you can consider your enemies as well. Which leads me to the second significant point about this act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Um, and I guess I'll open and ask an open question here. Can anyone think of another time Jesus stooped low and wasn't afraid to be in the dirt? Yeah, spot on. Thanks, Pete. I'm glad you said that because if you didn't, that takes my notes completely off track. Um, so I'm, I'm using preachers. Um, what's the word? License here. And I'm making a parallel here between the act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, getting dirty, getting dusty, and that moment that Pete just mentioned that about when he did a very similar thing with the woman caught in adultery. The woman who would have felt and told by people of importance that she was the lowest of the low. A woman that would have felt completely consumed and wrapped up in her sin and her guilt and shame. But the woman who Jesus chose to kneel beside in the dirt while others condemned her. Just as that woman, according to the law, didn't deserve forgiveness, the disciples didn't deserve to have their feet washed by Jesus. They didn't deserve to have their feet washed by God himself. Can we consider for one second the moment when Jesus chose to wash Judas's feet? What must have been going through both of their minds at that very moment? We're told Judas had already made plans to betray Jesus at this point. And Jesus, of course, knew of Judas's plan. Jesus even knew what Judas must have been thinking in that very moment. And yet he continued. He washed his feet. Not only was Jesus lowering himself to the lowest possible position of servitude, to the person who was about to betray him, dare I say it, in that very act, was he forgiving him in that moment? If we think about, and if we recognise that the, the parallel there between the woman who was caught in adultery and Judas, maybe it's not too much of a stretch to think that he was forgiving him in that, in that moment. We know if we carry on reading that Jesus, in his fully human form, perhaps found this incredibly difficult. It says in verse 21 of John 13, just after Jesus has, has washed the disciples' thing, feet, he says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Is this Jesus' humanity calling out and, and just finding this too much to handle? If it was, then I can't really blame him. Understandably, the disciples are concerned by this turn of events, and they want to know who Jesus is referring to. So let's pick that up after verse 21. 
The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom, whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So there's something else significant here that I just want to pull out. I think when Jesus does something, when Jesus does anything, it's worth looking into it and perhaps slightly more than face value, but when he does something that's out of the ordinary, I think it's especially important to, to pay close attention. So I think on the face of it, the text reads that Jesus is conveying to his disciples that Judas is to be the one that betrays him. But I think there's more to that in the act that he's doing. Otherwise, you have to ask, why wouldn't he just point at Judas and say, this is the one that will betray me? Subsequent verses suggest there's still confusion among the disciples about who the betrayer is. So perhaps it's not immediately obvious, or it's seemingly not immediately obvious to them that Jesus is referring to Judas as the betrayer. Verse 28 says, Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. To us, perhaps it seems obvious, but maybe there's something more going on here. I'd like to suggest that Jesus, as the supposed host of this meal, was actually honouring Judas in this act. Giving him a morsel of food, or giving it to a guest, is a statement of love, a token of friendship and respect. For those that have watched Big Bang Theory, looking at Steve, you might remember that even today in Eastern Asian um, culture, the last morsel of food is reserved for the most respected and distinguished honoured member of the gathering. Jesus is once again pouring out his love on Judas. Importantly though, not because he's desperate for Judas to go against his plans, but just because he loves and cherishes him. As Susie kind of sung out in, in spontaneous worship this morning, that's who he is full stop. Not because of some other purpose, but just because that is who he is and what he does. Jesus knows what's coming at the end of the Passover week. It's his ultimate purpose of why he's on the earth. So his love for Judas here isn't a persuasive or coercive love. It's not a final roll of the dice to hopefully change the plan that's laid out in front of him. I would suggest that in his act in his act of washing Judas' feet, in the act of giving him this last morsel of bread, Jesus is communicating something below the surface. Judas, I know what you will do, but I love you all the same. I know your heart has been stolen, but I will do everything to get it back. I want you to know that I cherish you and I honour you here among my closest friends. But why does he dip the bread into the wine? That's the bit that's a bit unclear. And again, doing some reading and research, um, the more prominent theory 
is that Jesus is recounting the story of Joseph's portrayal at the hands of his brothers. His brothers who stripped him of his technicolour dream coat, splashed it in goat's blood as an act of deception to fool their dad into thinking he'd been attacked by animals. This just makes a lot of sense because we have two stories that it's easy to think is revolved around deception and betrayal. And we know that wine symbolises Jesus' blood that's about to be shed. And there are other clear parallels between the story of Jesus and Joseph. They were both sold for pieces of silver by the people that they trusted and loved. They were falsely accused. Their power, their influence and wisdom were recognised by authority. And most importantly, although these stories share the common theme of betrayal and deception, they both end with incredible acts of mercy, redemption and love. Joseph redeemed his brothers those who had taken everything away from him and those who attended to kill him. He forgave and brought honour back to his brothers and his family. In drawing a parallel with the story of Joseph, Jesus is reminding us that his kind of love is different and completely flips the way society says we should treat each other. The Jesus kind of love is quick to forgive and restore. The Jesus kind of love for his, is for his friends and his enemies. The Jesus kind of love is washing the feet of someone who, know, who you know will betray you. The Jesus kind of love isn't discriminatory. It doesn't prefer anyone above anyone else. The Jesus kind of love is so self-giving that it went to the very end. Judas, I'm sure, was on Jesus' mind on the cross. Not out of anger. He didn't hold a grudge against him. He was just desperate to see his precious son restored and redeemed, just as Joseph's brothers were. If there was ever a question of, was Judas forgiven? I hope that goes some way to answer that. I'd love for us to share communion together um, in a minute because it wouldn't be a story on the Last Supper without doing so. <laughs> but I just, as, I, as I'm just closing, I just want to share a few thoughts. When I was, when I was preparing this, um, I think in my own thoughts, I kept thinking, who are my Judases? Who would I actively avoid sharing a meal with? Who wouldn't I even want to associate with, let, let alone lower myself in servitude toward them? Who would I find it difficult to forgive, especially if they didn't even ask for it? I think these are healthy questions to ask, and there's, there's wisdom in that. But it is challenging. I had a really difficult interaction with someone at work this week. Um, somebody who is a few levels above me in, of, in superiority. Seniority, sorry. And not superiority. <laughs> um, and she challenged my judgment of what I thought was the best thing to do in a challenging situation. And I don't think she did it in a very grace, graceful way. Um, she made me feel quite low. And she said, um, if you'd like coaching on this going forward, let me know. And... <laughs> 
which is just not really what I wanted to hear in that moment. Um, and she was kind of the per first person that came to mind when I was thinking through those questions. I didn't fancy throwing her a party. <laughs> I didn't, certainly didn't think I want to go anywhere near her feet. <laughs> and uh, HR would probably, wouldn't appreciate that either. But among all those things, I think God just wanted to remind me and us that his love for Judas is exactly the same as his love for me and you. Just as Jesus' posture towards Judas was completely undeserving, so really is his love for us. I felt him telling me and telling us, I'd wash your feet. I'd wash your feet, Luke. Steve, I'd wash yours. Jez, he'd wash your feet. 1 John 14 verse 9 is a passage I'm sure we're all familiar with. It says, we love because he first loved us. But we often take that, we often pull that out and don't fully read the full verse, which actually says, we love because he first loved us. And if you don't love your brother and your sister, you are a liar. Which is quite harsh. And, but I think what that's communicating really is that if we can fully, which we can't, but if we can understand a bit more about what Jesus' love for us looks like, then the way that we love those that are near us has to be different. If we want to truly love as Christ has done for us, we need to understand what that love look, looks like. So that's really my prayer for us this morning that, and going forward that God would continue to reveal what his love for us is like. Because I want to love as Christ has done. And even in my own very limited understanding of what that looks like, that's, that's a challenge, but I want God to just continue to refresh and just bring to mind exactly what his love for us is like. So I think as we, as we share communion with each other, let's dwell on the love of God. Let's remember his posture to Judas. And let's ask God to reveal a new facet of his love to us. And consider the consequences of that. Ask God, God, if you do really love me like that, show me how to love like that to my Judases. So God, thank you. As we share communion together, God, we do that in remembrance of you, of remembrance of what you did, what you gave up. Remembrance of your love for us. Your love that we could spend years and years trying to plumb the depths of, trying to reach the heights of. Your love that embraces us. Your love that would wash our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.